This is the Education Exchange. I am Paul Peterson, Senior Editor of Education Next. Thank you for joining me today. One of the top issues in American education over the last decade has been common core state standards. Should states have the same standards across the country? Should they have higher standards than they have had in the past? Uh, this is a topic that uh, we at Education Next have looked at a lot over the years. And uh, again, there is a new report out from Education Next on this interesting question of the quality of the standards that states are setting around the country to determine student proficiency. And I have with me today Daniel Hamlin, who worked on this question for the 2017 academic year. Uh, he and I have put together a report that has just been released, uh, which takes a careful look at the 2017 state proficiency standards. So thank you, Daniel, for all the hard work you've done on this uh, report. Uh, what's the central finding? Are the standards falling or are they not? Well, it, it seems to be the case that really since 2009 uh, until now, uh, which is, we use the latest data, which is the 2017 data, that uh, proficiency standards uh, have remained uh, relatively higher at a, at a re or states have maintained a, a relatively high bar. And, and I should point out um, that when we're talking about standards with this particular research report, that what we're talking about is proficiency standards rather than content standards. We're really analyzing the bar that states set for determining whether a student is proficient in a given subject area. In this case, we looked at uh, math and reading at fourth and eighth grade. Well, Daniel, why don't you, uh, and I'm speaking with Daniel Hamlin, a postdoctoral student here at the Program on Education Policy and Governance at Harvard University. Daniel, uh, would you just elaborate on that a bit? What exactly is the difference between content standards and proficiency standards? Because this is a pretty confusing area. Right, right. Well, uh, the content standards, that refers to the content that a student is expected to know at a, at a given grade level. And then the proficiency standards um, is basically explains or tells you um, how, how well the student knows that particular content. So in eighth grade, you're supposed to know your fractions, or at least by eighth grade, you better know your fractions. And so there's going to be some questions about fractions on the examination and the question is can you tell us exactly what is one half plus one half and uh, if you can't do that you're not proficient and so they can set those bars either higher or lower for es establishing proficiency. Right so I think what you're getting at is the initial impetus behind this this research report and and, and many of the previous ones that um, essentially, um, when, when, when states were first mandated to start testing all students in, in grades three through eight, um, they, they were also able to set their own bar for proficiency. So let's say, for example, you're a state that maybe set the bar for proficiency in, in math very low, then you might be identifying a lot of students, a high percentage of students as being proficient in that state. And let's say, for example, uh, you were, in, in one state, um, you, you were proficient in math, 
Um, but then you moved and you moved to another state where there was a higher bar for proficiency and suddenly you, be, you could become uh, identified as um, needing improvement in math. Yeah, I, rem so, yeah. I remember Stephen Colbert uh, made a joke out of all of this. He said, well, it, 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 given the way we're doing these standards, eventually we'll reach a point when math proficiency means you move when poked with a stick and reading proficiency means your breath will fog a mirror. <laughs> so uh, I guess at one point some, some of the states had set some pretty low standards so that uh, if you could do two and two, you could pass the math proficiency exam. Right, and, and so um, with this report that we did, uh, we really, f our, our main starting point is really 2009. And so at that time, there was about a 30 percentage point gap uh, between, on average, between state proficiency um, proficiency rates and the, the, the national ones. Um, and, and now that gap is about 10%. So states have really uh, improved, but back then in 2009, you could have, um, you know, these wide discrepancies between states and, and how they were labeling students. Well, this happens during the period when uh, there's a big campaign for Common Core state standards. So would you say that the campaign for Common Core state standards actually then did result in a raising of state expectations for student proficiency? Well, I, I think there's a good possibility that Common Core had an effect on, on states um, raising their proficiency bar. Uh, as you know, many, many states adopted uh, Common Core standards, and although the Common Core content sta standards aren't exactly proficiency standards, those, those two things are interrelated. And so I, I, I think there's definitely some evidence to suggest that the Common Core movement had, a, had an effect on, on raising the bar uh, across states. But Common Core is in trouble these days. Uh, a lot of states are saying they're no longer part of the Common Core and they're, they're making changes in their standards. And some states uh, uh, say they're keeping them, but they're changing them. And other states are saying they're, they're not keeping them, but they are keeping them. And so it's all very much of a confusion out there. But, but when you look at it empirically, uh, what are you finding? Are they now uh, abandoning the standards that they were moving towards uh, in the couple, three years ago? Well, there's certainly many states, really since the passage of ESSA, many states have decided to revise or withdraw from uh, the Common Core standards. But I think what remains to be seen is, is, is to what extent states are changing the, stand, the Common Core standards that they, um, that they adopted or committed to adopting. We don't, we don't really know how different these revisions are, and at least some some, uh, there, there's a couple of studies out about this, and th those studies seem to suggest that a lot of states have only made very minimal or just cosmetic changes to the standards. So it's not clear whether this uh, retreat from the Common Core brand is actually in influencing proficiency bars across states. So, and certainly we find no decline in standards between 2015 and 2017. They're essentially the same as they were two years ago, maybe slightly higher, but they're certainly not lower. And so the question is, uh, how can we be confident? I know we've worked on this project together, but you did all the hard work, so I'm gonna ask <laughs> you the question. Uh, so exactly how do you do this in a fair-minded way, in, in an empirical way, and not just your own judgment to, to ascertain as to what these proficiency bars are? Right, so, so the method works like this. Uh, essentially, we compare 
uh, state reported proficiency rates to the national one. And that's based on uh, NAEP, which is the National Assessment of Education Progress. And the NAEP is considered as, uh, widely considered as having a high bar for proficiency. Um, and, and so what NAEP does is it every two years, um, it, uh, it, it uh, doesn't, gives students an examination. So it's a representative sample of students in every single state will take exactly the same test. So we have one test that's been applied to every state across the country. And so it gives us a real common metric. Common metric that's with a high bar for proficiency. So if we look at all of the NAEP scores across all 50 states in Washington, D.C., and then compare that uh, compare the NAEP proficiency rates to the state proficiency rates, it gives us a way of knowing whether the states set a low or a high bar for proficiency. So I'll give you an example to illustrate this. Let's say, for example, you're a state that reports 50% uh, of your students in fourth grade are, are proficient on math. But then when you look at um, the same state's NAEP proficiency rates, it's only 25%. So that might suggest that the state State has, has a low a, bar for reaching proficiency. So what do you do with them? Do you give you, then you give them a, a C minus grade or something in that range? Well, essentially, what we do is we we look at that difference and then do some calculations uh, to, to to standardize that difference and compare that difference to the difference across all states, uh, and then give grades uh, to states based on that. So if a state has the same percentage of students proficient on the two exams, the NAEP exam and their state exam, then we give them an A, right? You get an A grade if they're identical or if your grade is, uh, your, the percentage of your students on the state exam is a little lower, we don't give A pluses. We, we might give an A plus for that because they're actually tougher than NAEP, which is pretty hard to be, but we, we give them an A. And, uh, and then anybody who's in the same ballpark we give an A too, right? That's right. And, and so we have a curve for, for giving A's and B's and C's. And so um, to, to illustrate actually the change that, that's occurred since 2009 to 2017 in, in grades, um, I, there wasn't a single state uh, by today's standards for, for proficiency that received an A um, on, on, for, for, its proficiency, for their proficiency bar. But uh, today, I think we have something like 17 states. 17 uh, that states get, got an A. So I, those 17 states probably want to know who they are. Uh, can, can you, re, do you have that at your fingertips? What, what 17 states actually got an A? Uh, well, the 17 states are Florida, Colorado, Maryland, Rhode Island, Arkansas, Kansas, Massachusetts, New Mexico, Illinois, New Jersey, Tennessee, Wisconsin, District of Columbia, New York, Utah, North Dakota, and Oklahoma. Oklahoma. Well, there. So now that just shows you something when you read all those states off that you've got some states where we've often heard that the students are pretty high performers, like in Massachusetts, and we have other states where we know that students are pretty low-performing students, like the District of Columbia or or uh, Oklahoma, but um, so this has nothing to do with how well the students are doing in the classroom. 
right? This is the standards that are being set. It is an actual learning in the classroom that we're measuring here. Yeah, I, I think that's an important thing to reemphasize with this analysis because I think it, it can become confused um, it, that, that we're looking at how well students are doing. And, and that's not, we're not looking at how, how well a state or a student is doing in the states. We're, we're looking at the proficiency bar uh, that it, the state it's sets. It's expectations. We're looking at expectations, not reality. Now, here's the key question. Are those expectations changing reality? By setting up these new higher standards, which we agree has happened, and everybody's got to agree, because you take a look at these data and you know that that's the storyline. The standards are higher than they were in 2009. Eight years now have passed between 2009 and 2017. Are students learning more as a result? Right, well, I, and, and that, is, that has been, uh, one of the big assumptions behind Common Core is that higher standards are going to translate into um, growth and student achievement. And when we look at that period from 2009 to 2017, and just look at the relationship between uh, improvements in the bar that states set for proficiency, which is the, the focus of our analysis, and then growth in student achievement on NAEP, uh, there is virtually no relationship. So the students that raise their standards the most aren't doing any better than the states that didn't raise their standards hardly at all. There's no relationship at all. It's, uh, the correlation is virtually zero. Now, it, it's worth, it, it is worth pointing out that it, it, we, just, we did a very simple basic correlation um, and, and there could be other ways to analyze these data. Uh, perhaps if you looked within a state and looked at particular types of schools within a state, perhaps you would see different relationships. But at least at, at this level of analysis, there is no relationship. Um, but I think it's, uh, even though there, there isn't a, rela a relationship there, I think it's also worth pointing out that there is some value behind having a higher bar. Um, you certainly wouldn't want to be a student or a parent of a student in a state who is consistently being rated as proficient in math and then it comes time to take the ACT and you find out you're not as proficient as you thought. Um, so, so whether or not the students are uh, improving as a result, you still want to have standards that convey to students what they have to learn so that they do the best they can to prepare themselves for what's coming down the road. I think so. I, I, I think there's some value in, in, in that, um, even if we don't see a, a clear uh, relationship between that and, and growth and student achievement. Um, and and it's, it's not actually clear um, how to translate higher standards into um, growth and student achievement. I, I think obviously there would be some other things that would need to come along with a higher bar. for. Yeah, but you have to remember that one of the big reform efforts of the last eight years was to create these common core standards and the expectation was that this would lead to higher student performance. So if we don't see it now, it certainly is a cautionary note that more is needed. Now it may be that we're just reaching judgment too soon, that it takes a while before the effect of these standards to really have its impact in the classroom and we can't be uh, too quick to dismiss the uh, potential impact of these standards. We might find five years from now quite a different story than what we're, we're finding today. Yeah, 
I, I think that's a possibility. I, I also think at the same time there's a lot going on within states um, and, and some of the, the different dynamics that influence what's, what's happening in the classroom. Um, are, there are many different dynamics and, and some of those, those different dynamics also vary across states as well. So I think there's a lot happening uh, and really we're just we're, we're looking at one um, Right. We haven't looked at teacher pay. We haven't looked at the amount of money that's available. We haven't looked at uh, changes in demography. There's just there's just many, many forces out there that's affecting the uh, effectiveness of our school system. And nobody would want to say that this simple analysis that we've done here is the last word on this topic. I think that's right. Well, thank you, Daniel. I've been speaking with Daniel Hammond. He's a postdoctoral fellow in the program on education policy and governance at Harvard University. I am Paul Peterson. This is Education Next. Thank you for joining me on the Education Exchange. Education Exchange is released every Monday at noon. Thank you very much for joining me today. Thank you.